one of the um, best parts of attending a sporting event, in my opinion, is seeing all of the antics that happen uh, throughout the event, like the kiss cam, which I actually think would be a lot of fun to have on Sunday mornings at Bell Shoals. That was just randomly, we go to a couple and you get a kiss cam. So, you know, uh, it's super fun to go to an event and they have all these different antics. And, and one of the best of these antics I've ever seen uh, happens in Atlanta at Braves games, at uh, the baseball games. They, they have a, a person called the Freeze. And I'm not 100% sure what the Freeze is all about. I'm assuming it's promoting a product. But uh, they get someone who's like, an all-world track athlete, runner, sprinter, and then they get an ordinary average human being and they have them race, but there's a catch. They let the ordinary average human being start on the warning track in the outfield. They have to run from one end of the field all the way around the warning track by the, you know, the, 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 the wall, the outfield wall. They have to run all the way around to the other side and, and they give the average ordinary person like literally a 200 feet head start to the extent you're like, there is no way uh, the freeze is gonna win. But then the freeze like jumps out of the, 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 the starting tracks and, and you know, like he's starting to run and the person's like in left center field and they're in center field and he's just kind of getting going and they're in right center field and you're like, there's no way and nine times, 9.5 times out of 10, the freeze catches whoever he's running against uh, by the time they get to the finish line. But there have been a few moments captured for us where people have a lead that they think is gonna get them to the finish line in victory. And, and if you've never seen this, let me just show, I'm show you a few snapshots here, what this looks like, okay? Um, Look on the warning track on the back here. You're gonna see, okay, uh, let me, we've got like some uh, circles here, I think. All right, there's the two, okay, the freeze is on the left. He's just getting going. The guy on the right is already in left center field. He's approaching center field. That is a massive gap. And this, 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 this young man who's running on the right is actually a pretty good runner, okay? So much so, let me show you the next slide here. When he gets... When he gets, to, he gets to the end of the race and he starts to feel it, man. And, and if you watch the video, okay, like he's going and here's what happens. Like he's chugging around the field and he's all in and he's focused and you can see him looking at the, at the finish line. But then like because the freeze isn't around him, for some reason he starts looking up at the crowd and he starts raising his hands. And he's running and he's like, yeah. And he's looking up into the crowd. He's thinking about all the dates he's gonna get maybe out of this deal. He's thinking about maybe a sponsorship. So he's running and like he's almost to the end. Literally, he's almost there and, 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 he, and, he, and he's no longer focused on the finish line. And now he's looking up into the crowd and he's like this and he's running. And then let me show you what happens next. Um, the freeze catches them, and the dude face plants in the dirt. And you can see he's like 10 feet from the finish line. And this is why I go to sporting events, right here. I wanna see somebody make a fool out of themselves, 
so that we can laugh at it for the rest of our lives. And so instead of getting a, a few dates out of that, he got millions of YouTube hits where we're all laughing at him because instead of just like keep tracking toward the finish line, the dude was like, ain't nobody around. Oh my goodness, I've actually beat the freeze, you know, and he's raising the roof and all this stuff and um, he face plants and the rest is history. And, it, and it's just a reminder to us, like, you know, th there, there are moments in life where like you can start out really good, really focused, right, doing your thing. And, and if and when you get distracted, <laughs> there are negative consequences, right? Like, uh, you never run faster when you're holding the ball. And you're worried about who's behind you. And like, at least, like if I were to play football, like that's what I would be doing. Like I would constantly be worried about who's about to hit me and break me in half, you know? And if you'll notice, the guys who are chasing are always running faster than the guys who are carrying because when you're focused on what's behind you or you're focused on what's around you, or in the case of this young man who's gone down in infamy, you know, when you get focused on the crowd and all these other things, um, you don't run as fast and you can even stumble and fall. And, and we're in a study in Philippians. We're walking through Paul's letter to the Philippians, which was a Roman province in modern-day Greece. And Paul started this church. And he's now writing to this church. He's in Rome. And he's writing to them. And what, here's, here, here's what we're seeing. We're, we're, we're seeing Paul try to bring the focus of the Philippians onto Christ to the extent that they live without distraction. And they live without, you know, looking over their shoulder. And they live without compromise. And, and today we're going to see just one of the really most encouraging sections of the Bible where Man, we're just seeing that, that when you live fully for Jesus and you tether your identity fully to Jesus, it changes your life. And, and remember, Paul's writing to Christians. He's writing to fellow Christ followers, right? And, and, and here's what I think happened then and here's what I think happens today. Listen, on our race, right, in our journey in our Christian lives, there's just too many of us too easily distracted. And so often what happens is like, instead of keeping our eyes fixed on the author and perfecter of our faith, and instead of staying focused on our future and the hope that we have in Christ for all eternity, right? And like instead of being laser focused on the finish line and focused on those things of eternal value, man, there's just too many of us that get too easily distracted by the crowd, by other things. And what happens is we run slower, we trip ourselves up, sometimes we face plant, and, and, and there's just a challenge for all of us, myself included, to not get distracted by all the things around us and to stay laser focused in terms of our identity, our priorities, to stay focused on who we are in Christ and all that he has secured for us. Because it's easy for us not just to run after bad things, right? but even to run after good things in such a way that we value them as ultimate things. And those are just distractions, right? Like that's looking over our shoulder. Like that's, 
turning to the left and the right, and we're trying to get toward the finish line, and I know we want to finish well, and so often what happens is, man, we just get too easily distracted, not just by bad things, but also by good things. And so here, here's what I want to show you today. I want to show you the main takeaway coming out of Philippians 3, which is where we're going to be today. And I hope this is an encouragement to you. This is really going to be Paul's emphasis today, that in life, listen to me, in life we have a lot of good things, but in Jesus we have everything. And in life we have a lot of good things, right? Like, and Paul's not just talking about Today we're going to see being distracted by bad things. Like, like we're talking about, man, there's a lot of good things. But I just want you to see today, if you know Jesus as Savior, you know him through the power of his resurrection, the forgiveness of your sins. I just want you to understand, in life you're going to have a lot of good things. And you're going to navigate a lot of good things. And, and definitely we're going to navigate bad things. But I just want you to know, in Jesus you have everything. That's what Paul's been trying to communicate to the Philippians, right? Like, in the midst of whatever you're facing, man, just keep running after Jesus and elevate and exalt Jesus in your life, in your fellowship. And, and, and today, that's gonna be huge for us as, as he gives us some very practical instruction on how to really make this life count. And, and, and I wanna take you to Philippians 3, and if you have a copy of God's Word, just meet me there. Philippians 3, this is just fantastic where we, we, we see kind of midway through the letter, Paul getting into some pivotal issues that these believers face, and I, I think we face the same challenges, um, distractions that keep us from really running after Christ as we should and tethering our identity to him. And, and so, and so here, here's, here's how we start. Let me just give you the first two verses. Here's, here's what he says. Um, in addition, my brothers and sisters, he says, rejoice in the Lord. To write to you again and to tell you these things is, um, he says, it's a safeguard for you. No trouble for me. And then he gives a second command here. Watch this in verse 2. He says, watch out for the dogs. Watch out for the evil workers. Watch out for those who mutilate the flesh. Let me just pause there. Here, here, here's what Paul's talking about, okay? So remember last week we talked about uh, being negative. We talked about Paul like saying, hey, one of the things that distracts you, one of the things that keeps you from running fast, one of the things that keeps you from really being fulfilled in Christ is negativity. So he talked about doing all things without grumbling and complaining. And I challenged you to go one day this week without complaining. How did we do? <laughs> okay, I think we all did equally as terrible. Congratulations. So, um, so he really, he talked about that. He talked about how people, you know, we have a negative disposition and that, that affects your life, that affects your walk, that affects um, your growth in Jesus. So he talked about, you know, the anecdote for complaining, which is Thanksgiving. And this week he's kind of reinforcing that in verse one. He gives two commands here in this whole passage. The first one's in verse one, the second one's in verse two, and the first one's rejoice. He says, I'm just gonna remind you, man, rejoice in the Lord. Not in your circumstances, rejoice in the Lord. We're gonna come back to that in a couple weeks. In chapter four, he's gonna reinforce that. But then he gives a second command in verse two, and that's really what takes up the rest of this section that we're gonna look at. He says, watch out. He says, watch out. And what he says there is pretty phenomenal. He says, actually, watch out for the dogs and watch out for the evil workers and watch out for those who mutilate their flesh. Now, here's what was happening in Philippi, okay? Remember, we're going back to the very first century, okay? And, and, and all the people who were coming to faith in Christ 
during this time are first generation believers. I mean, just think about that. They're first generation believers. They didn't grow up going to vacation Bible school. They didn't have a movement weekend. They didn't know what it meant to go to church like we do. Like they had no context for any of this. They're all first generation believers. Every single person who's coming to faith in Christ did so as the first of their families to do so. So there's no history, there's no background, there's no like model for them in terms of what it looks like to walk with Jesus. They're the first ones who have been saved, filled with the Spirit in, in terms of post-resurrection of Jesus, right? So Paul sees revival break out in Philippi. Now we're several years later, he's in Rome writing back to them. More people have come to faith in Christ, but along with them, here's a distraction, the first distraction he's highlighting for us. There were also some false teachers beginning to come in. Here's what it looked like. These were Jews who began to dialogue with the Gentile believers and say things like this. Now listen, if you really wanna love God and you really wanna secure eternal life, you can't just say you believe in God and you believe in Jesus, you need to be circumcised. And you don't just need to be circumcised, but if you really want eternal life, then you gotta adhere to the law of Moses. And they began to intermingle the Old Testament laws and customs given to national Israel with the New Testament church. Two totally different dynamics here. And they introduced, in other words, legalism and they tried to tether it to the gospel. Reminds me, um, for years I taught preaching at one of our seminaries in, uh, in Louisville, Kentucky, and we had a student one year who... Um, in a preaching class that I was evaluating, preached on a passage like this with circumcision. And every time he said the word circumcision, he went like this. <laughs> so if I do that today, I need you all to tell me, okay? Because that's not my goal. And, and I know that today, if I, if I said to you, listen, li listen, Bell Shoals, we can't be divided over circumcision. You would look at me like, uh, what kind of cult is this, you know? Like that's not a thing for us, okay? We don't have what we're known as the Judaizers coming into our fellowship saying, hey, Bell Shoals, you, if you really wanna love God, those of you who are males, <laughs> okay, that's important in our day and time to clarify this. Okay, so, um, you know, you gotta be circumcised and you gotta adhere to the law of Moses and you gotta do all that. Like, we don't deal with that today. That's not our thing, okay, that, that was something. But, but, I, but here's what I want you to see, though. I want you to see that every generation has false teaching Every generation deals with philosophies and ideologies that pull us away from the gospel and we need to be just as diligent today as Paul was then. Because let me just point something out to you if you've never read through the New Testament, okay? Paul does not mince any words here and um, what he says in verse two is one of the strongest statements in all the Bible. He says, beware of the dogs. And do you notice how he mocks these individuals who were trying to pull people away from freedom in Christ? He says, beware of those who mutilate the flesh. 
And if you're new to the Bible, you think, you know what, everybody in the Bible, like Paul and Peter and the apostles, I bet they were just the sweetest, kindest, just most gentle people. And when you come to faith in Jesus, you should never, ever, ever have an opinion and you should be loving and forgiving and you should just, you know, get beat up and kicked around and say, just hit me again. You know, that's what Christians do. Well, I got news for you. Um, when you come to the apostles' confrontation of false teaching, they're not weak on it. They are in your face saying lovingly and appropriately, this is not gonna happen here. And so let me give you one takeaway as we think about how to tether our identity to Christ, the fact that he is our everything. Let me give you one takeaway first one here. Listen to me. We need to stand up for God's design. We need to stand up for God's design. Paul doesn't write to the Philippians and be like, now listen, you got some people around there who are pulling you away from the gospel and they're introducing Judaism into this in a legalistic way and they're robbing you of fulfillment and identity in Christ and they're trying to add to his saving work which no man can add to. Like, hey, y'all just kind of, if you don't mind, would you just welcome all those people into your life groups and see if you can't? That's not what he does. Do you know why? Because these Judaizers who were coming in with their legalism are not well-intended. In other words, these are not people who are seekers. These are not people who are confused. These are people who have an agenda. People who made it their mission to pull people away from the gospel of Christ because they were saying to themselves, that's not how you get saved. You can't be saved if you don't legalistically walk through everything that God outlined for Israel in the Old Testament. They had an agenda. They were intentionally going into these house churches in Philippi, trying to pull believers astray and bring their hearts away from the gospel. And so Paul doesn't mince any words here. He's not like, oh, come around, come around these people, and if you would, just encourage. No, 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 no. These, 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 these are people who already have their minds made up, people who were deliberate in their actions. And Paul therefore says, you, you, you can't help them. You listen, this is, this is like pearls before swine, right? They've already made up their minds. They're not interested in a conversation. They're not interested in the truth. They're not interested in being open to a conversation. They have an agenda. So Paul says, you better watch out. And you better watch out for the dogs. And if you've never been to a third world country, where you've seen scavengers roaming the streets who are filthy and full of disease who will bite you if you try to pet them. You can't fully appreciate what Paul means by this because he's not talking about your little foo-foo. This is not an inappropriate term. This is not a sinful term, but this is a very direct confrontational term. Paul is saying, beware of these dogs because they carry disease and they are seeking to ravage you and your fellowship. You better beware of the dogs. Now again, circumcision, not our problem today. All right? That's not our thing. All right? That's not our thing. So if Paul were writing to us today, what would he say? Let me tell you what I think he would say. I can't speak for him. He's a little smarter than me. Here's what I think you would say. Beware of the dogs 
I'm not, I'm not talking about people who are seeking. If you're here and you're seeking, we're so glad you're here. This is a safe place to do that. Paul would say, beware of the dogs, those who have an agenda to teach your children and mine that a biological man is not a man. Beware of the dogs who are making it their aim in our public school system and our university system to teach our children, our grandchildren, that their identity can be separated from their biology. You better beware of the dog. Here's what Paul would say. Here's what I'm saying at least. Let me just speak for myself. Beware of the dogs who are advocating without parental consent, life-altering drugs and procedures with minors that most of them will later regret. These are dogs, right? You say, Pastor, you can't say that in church. We're supposed to be sweet and loving. Well, I hope we are sweet and loving and absent from complaining, right? <laughs> we talked about that last week. But I want you to see here that there are points throughout the New Testament as the apostles write to the church where they confront teaching, philosophy, error, heresy, and I'm telling you, every single time they do it, they do it strongly. Do you know why? Because whenever you tolerate this type of heresy and this type of poison, it will ruin you from the inside out. And we live in a day and a time, here's what I think is gonna happen. 20 years from now, I think there's gonna be a generation that looks back on the day and time we're living in right now, and they're gonna say, what happened to mankind? We lost our minds for about 15 years. Teaching people and pushing on people an agenda that says, if you're a biological male, you don't have to be a male. That is madness. I don't want you to hear me say this lovingly today. We are not going to bend or bow to the madness of these dogs in our society. We're not, that's, it's crazy. It's crazy. It, it's a risk, it's a threat, right? Listen, we have a devaluing of marriage in our society. We, had to, we have a devaluing of human life in the womb up to the point where we have people, I'm not talking about seekers, I'm not talking about people who have questions, I'm not talking about people who are interested in a dialogue. Again, we're so glad we have people like that coming to Bell Shoals every week. We're talking about those who have their mindset, they have an agenda that you can take a baby halfway out of the womb, stick a needle in the brain that's still in the womb and call that healthcare. That's not healthcare, that's murder, okay? That's not healthcare. And I'm just saying, listen, we live in a day and a time where we've, we've got these philosophies, we listen, we, we've got these agendas. It's a real thing. These are real threats. Listen, to say that Jesus is the only way of salvation is offensive to a lot of people. Paul says, beware of the dogs. So I just want to remind us, Bell Shoals, listen, if we don't stand on the truth, we have no reason for existing. Right? We don't have a purpose here apart from the truth and the hope of the gospel. There is no reason to exist. If people just want a little bit of fellowship, they can go to the YMCA. Our lead worship pastor is there every day swimming. He's an Ironman. He swims, he runs, he bikes. Okay? You know? 
If people want misery in their lives, they can do all of that, okay? And there's people there, all right? Listen, everything we do, we do with the chief end to help each other run in such a way that we're not distracted and we finish well so that we don't turn our hearts away from Jesus even by good things or bad things because we believe that he is everything. And in order to do that well, I just want you to hear me say what Paul says. You better stand up for God's design. And if you're a parent today, like me, let me encourage you to stand up for God's design. Right? You gotta be engaged and involved because let me tell you something. For me, who didn't grow up in the craziness of today, all this seems like madness. But to our children and our grandchildren, it's all they know. And it may not seem as obvious to them And you gotta be engaged and involved. You better know what technology they're using. You better know how they use it. You say, man, that's a lot to figure out. Welcome to parenting. If you wanna give your eight-year-old an iPhone with minimal restrictions, how can I say this graciously? I'm not gonna say the first thing that crossed my mind. Let me just say, I would strongly advise against it. Man, you better know how to manage technology. You better be be aware of who they're listening to and what's out there, okay? And all of us, all of us engaged in this difficult work called parenting, man, it's a struggle, okay? But here's what I'm trying to say. Paul does not mince words. He does not back down. He's not being a baby about this. What he's saying is if you truly treasure Christ as everything, He's like, listen, you better stand up and be counted holding fast to the truth. Because as Jesus taught us, the truth sets you free. And if you don't have the truth, then you're just like the rest of the world who is without hope. So we gotta stand up for God's design. I think that's what Paul said. Okay, secondly, let me, let me get to verse three to six, okay? Here, here's the second thing. Let me give you a second takeaway and then let me show it to you. Then we need to lean in to Jesus' righteousness. We lean into his righteousness, okay? Our identity is tethered to him, right? Not to our education, accomplishment, family, looks, status, right? Friendship circles, none of that. He's, Paul's gonna say, man, listen, here's what these Judaizers are gonna do. They, they don't believe in the gospel. They don't, they don't have a relationship with Jesus. And so their identity is tethered to all of their, like, bullet points on their resumes, okay? That's the only hope that they have. So here's what, so look, here's what Paul says. He's, he tells us to watch out, right? And then he says, for we who worship God, right? We who are the true circumcision, okay? The ones who worship in the spirit of God, we boast in Christ Jesus. We don't put our confidence in the flesh. Although Paul says, basically he's gonna be like, I'm not saying this because I, I can't like go toe to toe with these dogs, He's like, I can. If anybody has confidence in the flesh, I, I have more. Look at this. He says, I was actually circumcised on the eighth day of the nation of Israel. I was of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews. Regarding the law, I was a Pharisee. Regarding zeal, I persecuted the church. Regarding the righteousness that's in the law, I was blameless. I lived what I believed. He's talking about before he was a Christ follower. He, here's what he says. He says, man, If you don't receive Jesus, he's not your everything. Your hope's not tethered to him, right? You don't have a personal relationship with him where your sin is forgiven and you have this dynamic relationship with the son of God and the savior of the world. Then all you have left is your resume. 
And you better hope your resume is good enough to get you into heaven. And I got news for you. It's not. And these dogs are trying to pull people away from the gospel by saying, well, you got to be circumcised and you got to adhere to all these customs. And, you gotta, and Paul's like, dude, you want to stack up bullet points on a resume? Bring it on. Paul said, let me break this down. My family heritage, I was baptized on the eighth day. I'm not a Johnny come lately. I'm not a Jewish convert in adulthood. I'm a lifelong Jew who was born into a very committed Jewish heritage. Not only was I baptized on the eighth day, I'm of the tribe of Benjamin, which by the way, is the only tribe that stuck with King David. And it was the tribe from which the Lord chose Israel's very first king. And his name was Saul which was Paul's given name, which tells us he was probably most likely named after that King Saul. So Paul's like, you wanna go toe-to-toe with me in terms of human achievement? I was baptized on the eighth day. I was of the tribe of Benjamin, right? He says, in terms of my social status, I was a Pharisee. Now, I know we see the Pharisees as the bad guys. In this day and time, they were the good guys. Man, they knew the word of God. They protected Jewish laws and customs. Man, they were the leaders of their community. They were the good guys. Paul's like, I was one of them. That's how respected I was. That's how much I knew about the Old Testament. In terms of my religious activities, he said, I persecuted the church. I wasn't just a Pharisee because of my knowledge and my pedigree. He's like, man, I was all in with zeal, baby. I persecuted the church. I presided over the deaths of Christians. I went house to house and dragged people out and took them into prison. And then he says, and if you want to look at my life, even behind the scenes, I was blameless. Paul says, you want to go toe-to-toe with me, I'll go toe-to-toe with you. But I learned, this is what we're gonna see in a minute, I learned, right, none of those things get you to heaven. Because we are people, okay, this is what he says. We're people. We don't put our confidence in the flesh, we put our confidence in Jesus. Let me tell you the good news of that for you. That today, no matter how you feel walking into this room, or worshiping with us online, no matter matter how good or bad you're weak, no matter how good or bad your circumstances, can I give you a good word today? Your identity as a follower of Jesus is always tethered to his love, his grace, and his mercy. It never changes. Can I give you some good news today? Listen, we, we often think of God's love and favor somehow being dependent upon our obedience and our performance, right? But let me give you some good news. If my ministry goes well this week, Jesus loves me. And if it doesn't, Jesus still loves me. If my health holds strong this week, Jesus loves me. If it begins to fail, Jesus still loves me. If if, if my spouse is faithful to me this week, Jesus loves me. If my spouse is unfaithful this week and my marriage is all, all of a sudden in shambles, Jesus still loves me. If, if my family is fully intact and thriving and my kids are doing well, Jesus loves me. And, and if my kids are struggling and rebelling and I feel like I'm the worst parent on planet earth, Jesus still loves me, right? If my career takes off and, and uh, I don't think it could get any better than this, but you know, like, I love being a bell show. I'm just saying, Jesus loves me. If I crash and burn and you all are like, we can't have a pastor calling people dogs and talking about circumcision. Okay, well, you know what? Jesus still loves me, and he still loves you, right? He still loves you. (laughs) 
If you walked into the room today with more than you need financially, Jesus loves you. If you're paycheck to paycheck and you're trying to figure out how to be generous and how to steward well what God has given to you, I have good news for you, Jesus still loves you. You walked into this room feeling good about yourself for whatever reason, great. If you walked into the room struggling with depression and anxiety, I've got news for you, Jesus still loves you. And here's the truth you better take home with you today. Jesus loves the current version of you, not the future version of you. Now, he will love the future version of you in the future. Today, he loves the current version of you. And Paul's like, man, these dogs coming in, are trying, they're, they're trying to turn your heart away from Jesus. They're trying to get you to turn your eyes away from the finish line, the author and perfecter of your faith. They're trying to get you to put your focus on your performance, on how many friends you have, how much money you make, what kind of house you live in, what kind of car do you drive, right? Like, how many friends you have, how beautiful your family is. Like, all these things. And, and Paul's like, man, this is nuts, like, people want to go toe-to-toe. I can go toe-to-toe. I'm not saying this to you because I can't go toe-to-toe with these people. I'm saying this to you because that is an enslaved way to live your life. You want to live your life in freedom. Here's how you do it. You lean into Jesus' righteousness knowing that despite your performance, good or bad today, Jesus' love and righteousness is going to abide on you and in you, and the Father is going to receive you because of that righteousness that was imputed to you. And nothing's ever gonna change that if you're a child of God today. Nothing's ever gonna separate you from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. And so Paul's like, you better stand up for God's design, lean into Jesus' righteousness. That's your identity. And then lastly, here we go. We gotta rest in Jesus' fellowship, his, his friendship, right? His presence in our lives. Here's how we're landing the plane today. Okay, this is the last thing. Paul says this, verse seven. But everything that was gained to me, right? All this stuff, I'm a Pharisee. I'm, I'm you know, probably doing well financially. I'm respected in my community. All these things that were gained to me, I now consider to be lost because of Christ. In comparison, by the way, not that they were bad things, but they weren't ultimate things. He says, more than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. He's comparing. He's saying in comparison to knowing Christ, this stuff is like nothing. Who cares? Because of him, I've suffered the loss of all things, and I consider them as dung. That word, by the way, in the Greek is skubala. It means dung. It means poop which I have never said in church before today. <laughs> but since this might be my last Sunday with you as pastor, I figure, what the heck, all right. And it's a very strong word. You might see it in the first century in Paul's day on the back of a chariot, scubala happens. <laughs> okay, that's kind of, <laughs> that's kind of, it's a very strong word. Paul's like, listen, listen, not, not that anything I was doing, like, some of this stuff is good stuff. He's just like, man, when I, compare, when I compare that stuff to who I am in Christ, his love and righteousness dwelling on me, in me, like the fact that God accepts me through him and I have a future and a hope and my sin is forgiven and heaven is my home and my future. Man, when I just compare, when I take that and then, I, and then I look at the things I try to humble brag about on social media, that stuff is like dung. And human beings who have nothing else to live for make it a really big deal. Paul's like, I got news for you. It ain't a big deal. 
Nobody's going to remember it after you die. Nobody's going to give your eulogy and tell people how many followers you had on social media or how much you retired with or how many friends you had. Paul's not saying there's necessarily bad things, right, that we incorporate in our lives. Sometimes there is bad things. Sometimes they're good things. Paul's just like, listen, don't make a good thing an ultimate thing. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. He's our everything. And when you compare who you are in Christ to all this other stuff, it's like dung, man. It's like poop. (laughs) And he says, I consider it that way, look, so that I might be found in Christ, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that's through faith in Christ. That's how you get it. And the righteousness of God is based on faith. My goal then, look at this, is to know Jesus and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection among the dead. Because all this other stuff in my life ain't coming with me when I die. So here's the, here's the take. Paul's like, listen. In life, we have a lot of good things, but in Jesus, we have everything. And so we're gonna stand up for God's design and we're gonna try and encourage others to incorporate it into their lives because it's best. I tell you, God's will for your life is best and we're not gonna lean into our righteousness. Man, listen, don't leave here today tethering your identity to any temporal human achievement. Because if you do that, there's gonna come a day that achievement shifts and changes and your identity is gonna shift and change with it. I got a better word for you. Tether your identity to the righteousness of Christ given to you, securing you, and then, um, listen, just, just lean into that fellowship with him today. Paul says, you, you, did you hear that? Man, I just, I just want to know him. The fellowship of his sufferings, the power of his resurrection, right? I just, I just want to know him. What's your testimony today? If I were to ask you today, man, if you could have one thing in your life, what would it be? I just want to, whatever. And I promise you, you would not list a bad thing. but she might not list the best thing. Can I give you the best thing today? I want Christ. Through all the good and the, and the difficult, I just, I, want, I, just want, I just want to know more of the power of his resurrection. Did you just hear Paul? I just want to know the, the power of his resurrection in my life so that in cancer I know I won't be defeated because I have the power of the resurrection that in my struggle and my difficulty and whatever, I just, I got the, I just, I just want to know. Do you hear Paul? I just want to know the power of his resurrection and I'm okay with the fellowship of his sufferings because he's going to teach me and grow me in the fellowship of his sufferings. It's okay because my hope's not secured to the absence of suffering. Even in it, Jesus is working in my life and he's worth it to me. I just want to know him, the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings that I might, by his grace, achieve the resurrection that he's going to give me one day. That's that's what I want. What about you? Where's your testimony lie? Where's your identity formed? Paul says, man, all this other stuff, good stuff. Good stuff God uses. But not ultimate stuff. And today, I just want to, I want to encourage you to tether your identity to Jesus. 
to treasure him above all else, to pursue him this week. And I promise you, as you stand firm in the gospel and you lean into his righteousness and you treasure his presence and his fellowship, man, he will do a great work in your life. Because that's what he's promised to do, right? It's like the 72 he sent out and they came back and they said, oh, Lord, we're so excited. The demons, oh, man, the demons obey us. And Jesus said, hey, boys, check this out now. Listen to me very, very carefully. Do not rejoice that the demons are subject to you. You rejoice that your names are written in heaven. And Jesus knew then, 2,000 years ago, that the tendency of the human heart is to tether our identity to our performance. And Jesus said, you're doing a good work, but, but I just want to, I, I want to caution you, don't you ever tether your identity to what you're doing, because there may come a day the demons aren't listening to you. Let me tell you what you rejoice in today. Your names are written in heaven. Paul said it this way, to live is Christ and to die is gain, amen? To live is Christ, die is gain. And, and I, I just consider everything else around me very, it's just stuff. Jesus is everything.